Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. I'm your co-host, Debbie Cox Bolton. In this special episode, I do a deep dive on rural America with former New Deal leader, Kate Bowles. Kate's a former Nebraska state senator who was recently appointed her state's director of rural development for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. There, she oversees the administration's outreach to and partnership with communities across her state. Kate and I talk about the Biden-Harris administration's historic investments in rural America and what communities in her state need most, about innovations happening in farming and food production, and her sage advice for anyone looking to connect with rural voters. I learned a lot on this one. I hope you enjoy. All right, Kate Bowles, welcome to an honorable profession. It's great to be here, Debbie. It is so nice to see you, and I'm so excited because... People will know from my intro that you are a former New Deal leader and legislator, but you have gotten a new job, which I'm super excited to talk to you about. You have been appointed by President Biden to be the state director for rural development in Nebraska for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And I'm really excited to kind of talk to you about what's going on with your new job and rural America in general. And maybe just wanted to start with a question about kind of what what does that job title mean, entail? What does maybe like a, a day look like for you in that job? Sure. Well, I'm glad to be here and to have an opportunity to talk about rural America. I'm a Nebraska farm kid, born and raised. I was just at the Lancaster County Fair a couple of weeks ago, and it brought back good memories of showing sheep and, and pigs and cows. And it's a reminder that rural America is really hometown America. That idea that we are the heartland rings true. It's not only a sense of neighborliness, but it's a, you know, it's a commitment to being the nation's breadbasket and taking care of one another, as well as taking care of really the nation's food and energy needs. And that's a lot of what USDA rural development is, is all about. We are making uh, rural Nebraska a great place to be, not just through our business programs and our community facilities programs, but also by investing in people and the spirit and character of rural America, um, which is one of the things that inspires me to continue to do the work. You asked what a what a day is like in this job, and most days are really fun. We're able to talk about the priorities and values of the Biden-Harris administration, which include COVID-19 recovery and response, a commitment to serving all kinds of diverse populations, whether that's tribes or Spanish-speaking folks or just the folks that live in our most rural communities, and also making sure that we're addressing climate change not just talking about all of those things, which is a a part of my job and spreading the Biden-Harris administration message, but also operationalizing, making those things come to life. So for example, last week, we did a tour of Macy, Nebraska, which is the home of the Omaha tribe, and looked at a few projects that they're working on, a couple of housing renovation projects, as well as a 
uh, idea for a business incubator. Other parts of my day include working with my teams to make sure that we're implementing our programs in a manner with a lot of fiduciary integrity um, and making sure that dollars are well spent. So it's, it's never a dull moment around here, and it really is bringing to life the Biden-Harris administration's commitment to rural America. Yeah, that's so fantastic. Such a huge job. So many aspects of it. I want to dive into a bunch of what you said in a little more detail because it, it, there is so much happening. I kind of want to maybe start with the, the fact you mentioned COVID, and obviously so many communities were hit hard by COVID, particularly rural areas. And I'm wondering, um, of course, the Biden administration through the American Rescue Plan, and we'll talk about some of the other other big pieces of legislation that have passed that I think will affect rural America too. You know, there was money coming to communities um, to help with COVID relief. And I'm curious kind of how that, you started this job, I think in January-ish. So right, as people are kind of coming through, so you have probably had a lot of federal funds to disperse and to make sure um, we're getting to the people who needed them. So kind of what was that process like to help folks? And what is it, What's the outlook from the pandemic recovery and are there things that they still need? Sure. COVID-19 pandemic recovery is an ongoing process. It's still something that we are talking about a lot in rural America. And that is in part because the economic impact of COVID-19 is is real and it, it will take some time for us to recover. Thankfully, um, USDA rural development programs and priorities are a part of that solution. So just last week, we were able to announce three different grants called Emergency Rural Healthcare Grants, which were uh, targeted towards some of our smallest healthcare providers in our hardest hit COVID communities. And this is just the beginning of those grants. But last week, we were able to announce Juanita, Pender, and Brown County Hospital. And all of these grants are designed to do two things. One, help to address the economic impacts for healthcare providers of the COVID-19 pandemic, but two, provide additional resources so that they can respond to pandemics and become more stable and sustainable into the future. So in Brown County, which is in north central northeast Nebraska, kind of up near the South Dakota border, I was up there a few weeks ago beautiful area, just God's country this time of year with the fields kind of fully green. But what they're doing with their recovery dollars are not only filling those budget gaps, but also creating a specific COVID wing. Um, And that's really important for a place like Brown County, where not only do they only have a couple of cases that they need to treat very carefully, but it's, it's, a long drive um, to the next healthcare provider. And it helps keep especially those longer term patients close to home, close to family, which is better for them and better for their their healthcare success. One other quick example, because it's not just about recovery, it's also about how do we build for the future. So another project that I just visited a few weeks ago is Kimball Hospital, which is clear on the other side of the state in the Nebraska Panhandle near Wyoming and Colorado. We did a groundbreaking for a hospital there, which means not only um, that, that it's a part of recovery and a part of helping them you know, put their budget together, but that hospital will serve generations of rural Nebraskans for years and years to come. So these investments are really inspiring, not only because they you know, make the Biden-Harris administration's values come to life, 
but also because they couldn't have happened without the vision and hard work and sweat of people in rural communities coming together to find the resources and um, put the put the elbow grease behind it to make it happen. Yeah, I think this is such an exciting time, actually. I mean, there's it's kind of counterintuitive because there's so much bad news going on too, of course, in the backdrop and, you know, the polarization, all these other things. But, you know, particularly, frankly, with the Biden-Harris administration's leadership, you know, the the amount of federal dollars that are coming to states and localities is really enormous and has the potential to be transformative, you know, whether it's through the the American Rescue Plan funds we're talking about, but also the bipartisan infrastructure deal and now the Inflation Reduction Act with energy. I have to believe it's there's just a lot of things that you have to kind of, that you get to, I guess, not have to, you get to kind of handle at once in terms of making some of these investments. Another one that I wanted to ask you about specifically that you mentioned in the top was climate. Maybe this is wrong. I, I think that some people erroneously kind of think that climate uh, action in rural America, like, don't mesh. You know, I know that that's absolutely knowing you something that you do not believe. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. So tell us a little bit what's happening on the climate um, and energy front there in rural, in rural Nebraska. Well, I, I appreciate the question. You know, being a farm kid, I think, you know, Nebraska's farmers and ranchers are some of the original conservationists. You know, we we know that care for land and care for the water is not only good for our environment, but it's essential to our bottom line. So it's really a, a part of our way of life out here in, in rural America. But what that looks like, you're absolutely right, is a little bit different in rural communities compared to urban communities. But, you know, I think we are part of the heart of solutions for climate change and renewable energy here. Just a quick example, (laughs) in Antelope County, Nebraska, Clear Springs Ranch, um, we are working with those folks to install more energy efficient irrigation systems. So when you think about making our energy efficient irrigation systems um, in Antelope County and then all across Nebraska and all across the nation, that has a real impact um, in terms of, of energy savings. Another example that we just love is there's a small town homegrown brewery in Ord, Nebraska, and they put some solar panels on top of the brewery and made a significant improvement, not only in their energy efficiency, but also in their utility savings. So I think sometimes you'll actually find in rural America, you know, a spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation which means that you know, occasionally we're actually doing things first um, when it comes to find, finding a, a more energy efficient or green way of, of implementing the day-to-day business of growing the nation's food. I want to follow up on two questions there. One is just just totally out of curiosity, out of what's the mechanisms that, I mean, so are those, those grants, you're distributing those grants. Are you doing that through localities or like actually just how does that work? You know, one of the things that I think is really neat about USDA rural development is that we are one of the federal agencies that has boots on the ground. So I have five local offices here in Nebraska, Lincoln, Kearney, North Platte, Norfolk, and Scotts Bluff. So we span the state and my staff can work hand in glove with farmers and ranchers and rural entrepreneurs to put projects together. So for example, the Scratchtown Brewery example Our Norfolk office helped to put that project together, visited the brewery, worked with Caleb and Christina, the owners, 
filled out the application and got those dollars pulled down through what we call our Rural Energy for America program. And I'm glad you asked about that because it's one of the programs that received a new investment through the Inflation Reduction Act bill that was just recently signed. So it's important to me that people in Nebraska understand that these big pieces of federal legislation have a piece for rural America and not just a small piece, a piece that can really make a difference um, in the lives of of Americans and in all kinds of communities. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. I mean, it is such an enormous amount of dollars that can do some real have this impact that you're talking about, real world impact. And you also mentioned in that answer something about kind of the supply chain and, and food growing. And I know this is something that you thought a lot about and worked a lot on as a legislator before you in your new job. What should people understand about the um, Nebraska or the rural needs in terms of that role that it plays in really feeding America? The first thing I always want people to understand is, is personal it's just how much farmers and ranchers love their work. They're there and they work those 15, 16 hour days on harvest because it's part of who they are and part of what they love to do. And I think sometimes there's there's a feeling of resentment or frustration on behalf of rural people because that hard work isn't always recognized. And they feel like there's a lot of things that they have to do themselves or do independently. And there's both pride in that and some some frustration with either rules and regulations on the federal level or feeling like that work is not seen and appreciated. So, you know, I think it goes both ways. We both want our leadership on the federal level or on the state level to understand the commitment that we have to Feeding America, but also make sure that that sense of independence and that hard work receives the benefit it deserves. And sometimes that means making sure that farmers and ranchers are well compensated. Other times it means making sure that they get a fair piece of the pie uh, when programs and policies like the Inflation Reduction Act come through, which is why it's so satisfying to see more money for the Rural Energy for America program and to see dollars from the American Rescue Plan come through to places like Brown County, because that's really as it should be. Yeah. And what in terms of the supply chain issues that hit America so hard during COVID, I'm sure that had a disproportionate impact on rural America. Is that looking better now? Are you feeling better about where things are? It certainly had a disproportionate impact on rural America. And some of USDA Rural Development's mission is to help lower income communities and counties. And so when you've put together carefully a project like a hospital or a nursing facility or a library, and you see those costs increase because of supply chain issues, it it can really feel like one step forward and one step back. The good news is we here at USDA RD are here to make sure that your projects are successful, not just that they cross T's and dot I's. So we've gone back to several projects and increased loan or grant amounts to make sure that people can cross that finish line. You know, the other thing I would reflect as you ask that question about supply chain and and as it relates to food production here in Nebraska is one of the satisfying things, one of the exciting things has been the response, particularly in the meat processing sector. There's been some real innovation. There's been new interest. There's been excitement about how uh, meat producers can move forward 
on a smaller level than we've seen in the past. I was just at the governor's ag conference and sat on a, in on a panel of local meat producers, one of which is working on a grant with us to expand their, their services and programs. It's exciting, not just because these are entrepreneurs that are successful and not just because it is a part of a bigger solution to supply chain issues, diversifying and um, creating different types and sizes of, of meat production, but it's also cool because they're coming up with innovative ideas. A quick example is I was out at McLean's Beef in York, Nebraska, and they proudly showed off their meat vending machine. So 24 hours a day, you can go in, put your credit card in and, and buy fresh steak for dinner. So it's it's been neat to see what people come up with and how they can really bring creative solutions to the table. Yeah, that's so cool. I've never heard of such a thing. How interesting. Very interesting. I want to ask you, too, about another aspect of the work that you do. I know that the Biden-Harris administration has made it clear that equity across the board, but equity in rural areas in particular is a big goal. What does that look like in rural? What is What does that mean and what does that look like? That's, that's a great question. And um, the Biden-Harris administration's commitment to equity is one of the things that drew me to this job. I think this conversation in rural America and in USDA Rural Development Services has been a long time coming. Some of the most up-and-coming communities in Nebraska have a more diverse population than maybe folks on the coast would realize. Schuyler, Nebraska is a, a place where there are 19 different languages spoken in the elementary school, in part because there's a lot of refugee resettlement. Lexington has a big Spanish-speaking population. We have a number of tribes here in Nebraska. What that means to the Biden-Harris administration's operationalization of USDA rural development programs is a couple of things. One is we are implementing a strategic initiative to reach out to targeted communities that haven't heard from us in a long time. And I think that's part of a bigger solution um, to some of the troubles of American democracy is really putting a face to government services and showing up. So I have 12 different communities that I'm visiting personally this summer, ranging from Lyman, Nebraska, which is on the border with Colorado, to Pawnee City, which is on the border of Kansas. So some of it is making those personal, really in face-to-face -face connections and conversations. But some of it is also driven from a policy perspective. So one of the things I'm really proud of here in Nebraska is we have a program called the Rural Business Development Grant, which is to help small businesses get going and get started. For example, we can support business incubators where people can come together and share ideas and share space as they're getting started. There's a set aside specifically for tribal communities within that program, because that really makes real the idea that to advance equity Sometimes you have to make sure that there are specific opportunities for populations that haven't received them before. And Nebraska got almost 50% of those set-aside dollars because of our long-term relationship with some of our tribal partners. So I, I really think that it's not just building the relationships. It's also making sure that you have something of value to offer once you have that relationship established. And certainly there's more work to be done, but our rural business development grant program is just one example of how it can be done and done well. 
That's so interesting and so cool. Is it have that is that underway and are tribes taking advantage of it? Are you seeing it on the ground already? That's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is exciting and it's neat to see how some of the cultural themes come through in in business development. You know, one of the things that we have invested in up in Thurston County, which is near the Winnebago tribe, is a food systems project. So we have helped a farmer's market get started up in Thurston County. And it's neat to see, you know, some of the the heritage fruits and vegetables come about. And, you know, that connection back to here's how we used to do things and here's how we're keeping our traditions and cultures alive. And by the way, we've got some of the best sweet corn in the country. <laughs> so um, it's a thriving. <laughs> That's so cool. Too. I'm putting that on my list of two visits. Oh yeah. Come down anytime. <laughs> we'll take you to Scratchtown Brewery too. I love that. They both sound amazing. I want to just ask you one other kind of policy related question, because I think it goes to this. I mean, I'm just hearing this theme that you're talking about of maybe, you know, I think, and I am on a coast, admittedly, you know, the kind of the misperceptions maybe about rural America. And I think another one that my people might have is that you, and you, I think you alluded to it at one point, but is um, is housing, right? That, you know, housing being an issue in rural America. I, I know that because I work with leaders all over the country that it's a crisis everywhere. How does that manifest itself in the communities where you serve? Yeah, housing is always at the top of the list when I meet with the rural communities. And some of that has to do with aging housing stock and not having the investments in housing development in rural America over, over a period of time. It, it also, though, in a more positive way, has to do with economic growth. In the communities in which our businesses are thriving, we really don't have enough of what we call workforce housing, housing that folks who are taking an entry-level job or part of a manufacturing plant that is succeeding and expanding and growing, they really want to put down roots where they work. And the right housing opportunities are not always available for them, especially for growing families. And it's satisfying to me that we can, in in some circumstances, offer a solution to that problem. Our single family housing programs offers grants and loans to, um, to folks who have housing needs. Specifically, we can offer loans to first-time homebuyers and other homebuyers to have a more affordable mortgage and offer them a mortgage that maybe they couldn't get through a traditional banking system. Um, We can help with rolling the down payment into um, that mortgage payment and even making repairs, which is very important for some of that aging housing stock. And it's satisfying to me, not just because it feels good to help someone get into a home, but also because we know that if you are making a commitment to a mortgage, you're making a commitment to a community and you're going to be a part of that community's success and put down roots. And that is also part of what USDA RD is all about. Are you desperate for American leaders who are ready to meet the challenges of our time? An Honorable Profession podcast is here to help. Before Pete Buttigieg, Mandela Barnes, and Stacey Abrams became national figures, they were quietly building better communities at the state and local level as New Deal leaders. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. We're here to introduce you to the next generation of Pete's and Mandela's and Stacey's. Every week, we talk to a future game changer in American politics. We hear about their journeys into public service and what they're doing to address the most pressing issues facing our communities from climate change to defending democracy, from free fare transit in Kansas City to participatory budgeting in Atlanta, 
Our guests tell us how they're restoring trust in government and rebuilding hope for all Americans. Tune in to learn more. You can listen to An Honorable Profession everywhere podcasts are found. I mean, as I'm listening to you talk about all this, Kate, if, you know, you're doing such amazing work on so many fronts. And frankly, the Biden-Harris administration has delivered actually so much with Democrats in Congress, of course, but, you know, across the board of all of the three main things we talked about, the big, big pieces of legislation, but also CHIPS and helping veterans through PAC and so many other things. It feels like, I'm just wondering if you think that Democrats are getting credit for the real tangible things we are talking about. You're talking about delivering on energy, on small businesses, on housing, on you know, all across the board, and, and you're giving us real life examples of how that's playing out and the impact it's having. Do you feel like that is how do you feel like do you feel like people know that that's even know that it's happening? Like does, is that was that widely understood of, of all this great stuff that's happening? It's a it's a great question. And I think it is it's a frustration that I have in our current media environment, because I don't think that people understand everything that the Biden-Harris administration is doing to really improve quality of life in rural America and in all of America. But if you dig one level deeper than that, it's also about whether or not people understand how government is delivering for them and what government is doing to make sure their day-to-day lives are the best they can be. And that distrust in government, I think, is part of what's leading to a lot of discord and a lot of, frankly, the, the partisan politics that don't serve Americans. But when you wake up in the morning in rural America and you turn on your tap, in many communities, the reason that you have safe, clean drinking water is because of USDA Rural Development's water programs. When you drive down the street and take your kid to school, in some communities, that street is safe for your child because we've understood the importance of that road project to community success and USDA has been there. So, and it applies all across the board, whether it's, you know, fixing up your grandma's house or making sure that there's a fire truck, there's a grass fire in your, in your neighbor's field. We need to do a better job of telling that story. But we also need, I think, people of all types and stripes to meet us where we're at, um, to understand and appreciate that the, those are some of the best things that American government has to offer. And those are the things that we should be concentrating on versus petty partisan bickering. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more on that piece. And I guess maybe my follow-up question to that is kind of taking it a step further back, which is it's no secret that, you know, Democrats struggle sometimes winning rural votes in elections. What's your take on why that is and what you think Democrats would need to do to to address that issue? I think it's my responsibility as a a federal employee to say I'm officially a nonpartisan employee and I, you know, serve all kinds of people in all kinds of communities. But at the root of your question is what do politicians need to do to gain the faith of rural America back? And I I think there are a lot of things that political leaders need to do. The first is show up, to be present, to be hands-on. The second is to listen more. Rural Americans have a lot of amazing, innovative ideas that don't always get heard. The third is to, to find a way to get to yes. 
I think sometimes we focus too much on implementing a system and you know doing that in a way that that checks all the paperwork boxes versus actually coming up with common sense solutions to how we can solve our our nation's problems. And I think the last thing is to be authentic. You know, I think the the rural Americans have a great sense of neighborliness and communityness and they can smell a rat. And so <laughs> don't underestimate the intelligence or commitment of rural Americans. Look them in the eye, meet them where they're at, tell them who you are and what you really believe and have some faith that they'll meet you halfway because I think they can. Hmm, I love that answer. I'm going to print that out and <laughs> send it around to a bunch of people. I want to ask you, switch gears for just a minute and ask you a little bit about your own path into public service. Of course, this is an honorable profession where we like to just find out how people got where they are. And I mentioned earlier that you, of course, were an elected official and you mentioned earlier that you grew up on a farm. So kind of start from the beginning and just tell us, was was kind of public service something that you thought you would do growing up or how did you get into that? <laughs> it's a great question. And at the risk of, of sounding a little bit cheesy, I guess it's all like cheesy, Kate. Exactly. I like cheesy's good. Authentic's good. I I don't, I did not aspire to be a politician, but here on the bulletin board at my desk, I have a copy of the FFA Creed. And many people who are listening to this podcast probably have never heard of the FFA or know that it has a creed. But FFA is uh, Future Farmers of America, and it's really trying to grow leadership um, in folks who have an interest in agriculture. And I, I kept the creed on my desk because it, it connects so much to the values and principles that I think are held tight in rural America, are taught in rural America, and that inspired me on my path. For example, part of the creed says, I believe in less need for charity and more of it when needed. I believe that I am a part of the solutions to the problems in my community, that I have agency. The very first line is, I believe in the future of agriculture. And the reason I bring all of that up is that those, those fundamental principles, I think, are things that are you know taught to every 4-H and FFA kid, and they're part of what it means to be a leader in rural America. And I took those lessons and um, you know took them to other places. I got a degree in social work from the University of Michigan. I worked in Washington, D.C., but ultimately I brought, brought those ideas back home. And I served in the Nebraska Unicam role for eight years. And I, since you asked, I think this is a great opportunity for me to talk about something that's pretty close to my heart, which is the nation's only unicameral legislature. Nebraska is a unique model. And those ideas of, of working together that are part of the FFA creed are part of what inspires um, Nebraskans to continue our unicameral approach. What does that mean? It means that we are elected in a nonpartisan way. Our leadership is chosen by um, secret ballot rather than party uh, majority. And, you know, every uh, bill gets a hearing and there's a real commitment to transparency because we think of the people of Nebraska as our second house, as our check and balance. And I think it's such a relevant thing to talk about right now as politics are more diverse and, you know, frankly, more divisive than I think they've ever been in my lifetime, that if we choose something different, there can be a different model. 
we we don't have to say that might is right. We we can have some diplomacy even in American politics if we choose it. We've we've got to got to make some different choices right now. I think we all feel that. So I think I've diverged a little bit there. But no, I'm glad you did. Um, I'm so glad you did. It's such a it's such a <laughs> I, I should ask you the question. I'm so glad you brought it up because it is such a unique thing in American politics. People probably don't know about it and. It goes to the heart of what, you know, we've been weaving throughout this conversation about the perilous place we find ourselves with this partisan, hyper-partisan place and solutions forward. So I'm so glad you brought it up. I, I maybe would love to know, you know, having served in that legislature and now serving in the administration, you know, kind of if there are differences or like kind of, you know, what you like about each or what, you know, what you find, you know, what you miss about the legislature and what you like the administration or however you want to answer that question. I mean, I think those principles that apply to the Nebraska Unicamera really apply to administrative service. You know, no matter who you are or where you come from, when you walk in our door, we want to meet you where you're at and get you to yes for your vision or your idea or your dream for your local community. And that those ideas don't have red or blue tags, right? They don't come in labeled or sorted. They come in in a really personal way. So, you know, I think that, that that service has helped me become a better administrator. I also think that doing this job helps me understand the 49 people who serve in the Nebraska Unicameral a little bit better. You know, I was I was just out um, I was just out in Harvard, Nebraska, which is one of the tiniest communities in our state. And the, the really the, the place that was open, the public space was the local library. And I walked in and shook the hand of um, Cheryl, who's the librarian there. And I talked to her a little bit about our programs. And she said, well, I'm so pleased you stopped by. I'm glad to meet you. My cousin's the mayor. We'll figure this out. Um, which was just a reminder to me that especially some of our rural state senators have a really personal commitment, a really parochial approach to what it means to serve a community. And and forgetting that all politics is local um, or all federal service is local, I think is one of the mistakes that we're making in American democracy today. So the more we can reestablish those personal relationships and get off of Twitter, (laughs) I think the better. I love it. I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough, Kate, for coming on today. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much for your service. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be taken from what you're talking about. I feel really inspired by this conversation. And I may, you know, I'm sure I will not be the only listener to uh to feel like I need to consider moving to Nebraska <laughs> after this conversation. <laughs> well, well, come on down. I'll make you a list. You can do the Niobrara okay. float trip, you can go to the UNL dairy store. We will take you all around and um, get you some Nebraska sweet corn too. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today, Kate. Appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. Mm-hmm.